Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee, episode 88 to be exact. I hope you're doing well today, and if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee, specifically a coffee tonic today. That being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about my strategy for this bull run when it comes to altcoins. We're talking about the state of the crypto markets, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment and more. So make sure that you stick around for all the updates in today's episode. And if you like crypto, please subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee on this show. If you are a holder of Cardano ADA as well, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker of H4SH and a big thank you for that in advance. And just a friendly reminder, say this every week, I wish I didn't have to, but you need to be aware of scammers that are in the comments posing as me and other crypto YouTubers in the YouTube comments, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Telegram, everywhere. I don't have a WhatsApp. I'm not going to reach out to you first on any of those social media platforms. And on YouTube specifically, if the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see here, it isn't me. You can ignore them or report them. So please be safe. In partnership with the folks at Keystone, I also give away a Keystone tablet steel seed phrase backup in every episode by picking a random comment from the video comments. And as a bonus, my friends at Charlie3 or Charlie, however you want to call it, the Cardano Oracle project, they offered to give away two NFTs to random commenters as well, so those are also up for grabs. The winner of last week's Keystone giveaway is here on the screen, so big congratulations, and uh, I will be in touch to help you claim your prize. Now, I'm going to switch the order around in today's episode, and I'm going to start with my altcoin strategy, and then we're going to do the crypto market update, okay? So keeping things a little bit a little bit fresh, I suppose. Now, there are many schools of thought in terms of how to play a bull market and how to play altcoins in general, both short term and long term. Some say you need to go heavy into one category or one sort of niche and deeply understand that niche and only invest in that niche, which is actually generally pretty solid advice. Alex Becker, for example, really focused on gaming and in some cases NFTs. Now, others say you need to diversify widely in the markets to insulate yourself from risks present in each niche. Now, for me, I sit right in between those two and take a little bit from both. Now, the nuance to my strategy comes with how heavily I risk capital in each niche itself. So over the years, the time that I have to dedicate to researching crypto for me to invest has been much, much smaller over time. So I have to be very calculated and efficient in determining where to put my money. So generally, I split up my altcoin investments into three high-level categories. Blue chip, bold plays, and high risk, high reward. Blue chips being coins that I'm confident as can be will be successful long-term. Confident as can be if I hold them long-term. Bold plays are ones that I feel good about fundamentally, but see some risks with. And then the high risk, high reward coins are pretty obviously the ones that I immediately feel okay with losing all of my money on because it's very possible. But of course, those could end up blowing up and deliver 100x plus gains. Then in every niche of crypto, I allocate a balanced group of coins across those three categories. So broadly, you've got like NFTs and gaming, DeFi, layer one chains, and interoperability focused projects is like the four big niches to me. And within each of those niches, I have a mix of higher risk and what I deem lower risk investments. The key distinction is that if I lose it all, 
all of the money that I have in here, I'm still okay and my lifestyle's not gonna change drastically. You dig? Like that's risk management. You need that, I need that, we all need that. Anyway, I digress. The final piece of information that you need here is what percentage I allocate to the lower risk, medium risk, and high risk plays within each niche. And my general rule of thumb is to have 50% blue chip coins, 30% bold play coins, and 20% high risk, high reward. I found that this adequately balanced my risk against my potential for profit. Now to drive this strategy point home, let me give you a view into my DeFi niche, for example and how I classify different assets. I'm not gonna give you every coin because that's a waste of time, but here are some examples. In my DeFi niche, I have blue chips like uh, Uniswap, UNI, Sushi or XSushi because I generally have Sushi staked. Then I have some newer DEXs and lending protocols on other chains outside of Ethereum like Orca on Solana, for example, or Ohm in the Icon space. And I'd classify those as bold plays. And in that bold play group, I'd also classify a lot of the tooling things like the peripherals, like oracles or data projects like the graph. For high risk, high reward coins, a lot of early stage projects like the DeFi price protection project Bumper, which I managed to get an early allocation in, or Pokedex, which is in really early stages, but very promising. Like a lot of what you might buy at IDO or invest early in, before a full product is done, I'd almost always classify as high risk, high reward, because you can't know for sure if it's gonna succeed for many different reasons, but if it does, you're in a great position for profit. You get the idea, right? I balance my portfolio throughout the year a lot of the time, and you'll probably realize by now that the categorization of these coins is subjective. Coins overlap. They might even change over time in terms of where you classify them. So this is meant to be a flexible strategy, not rigid in terms of how it's organized. For example, Chainlink doesn't fit into any one category very well. It's a blue chip for me that crosses DeFi, NFTs, interoperability in a lot of ways. How you classify things is totally up to you, but you should be choosing coins that you know enough about to classify them with some sort of substantiation. This strategy pretty much forces you to know things about the coins that you invest in so you know the risks, and then it will make you give thought to how much risk you're subjecting yourself to. And that's not gonna stop you from losses or guarantee you gains, nothing can do that, but it's the way that I do things and what's worked for me over time it's what kept me in Polkadot for basically the entirety of Polkadot's existence because it's a blue chip coin to me that I believe in long term and I want exposure to long term. And this strategy is also what threw up the alarm bells to me to take some profits when Thorchain was crushing all time highs week in and week out. The risks of building complex bridges to me said, hey, you might want to de-risk a little bit here because bridge hacks can happen. Things can happen progress might be stalled. Lo and behold, my intuition was correct there. And it doesn't always happen that way. I was lucky in a sense there. But the only way you have any chance to have any intuition about where your project might go and when you need to take money off the table, when you need to double down, is if you truly understand what you're investing in. If you take nothing away from this episode besides that, you're golden. You need to really, really, really know what you're buying and what poses upside and risk for each coin that you own so that you can make good decisions. And that is Hashoshi's fundamentals-based strategy for altcoin investing. Now, as promised, let's roll on into the crypto market update for the day, which is, thank goodness, still looking pretty good, even heading into the weekend at the time of recording. In the wake of increased demand, 
stretch supply on exchanges, and news of a couple Bitcoin futures ETFs being approved, the crypto markets roared back to price levels we haven't seen since the spring, with Bitcoin back over 60K and Ethereum back to nearly 4,000, I just had to check, and many altcoins following suit, like Engine, for example. Now, at these price levels, I almost expected a big wall of selling pressure because of a lot of people who bought the top back in the first half of 2021 are now back in profit or at least at break even. And I feel like a lot of those people might have felt the need to panic sell here to save themselves the anxiety of holding beyond this, right? They just want to get out and, and get their cash back. And that did seem to happen, and it always does, but in far less volume than I had anticipated, if I'm being honest. What does slightly concern me is that this rally seems to be FOMO-driven because of news of the long-awaited exchange-traded fund, or ETF, approvals for Bitcoin futures, which is touted as a boon for new capital inflows to Bitcoin in large, large quantities from a wide variety of investors who would be able to now access Bitcoin on the traditional markets. That being said, if something happens, something unforeseen, which it very much can, anything can happen, and these ETFs do not come to fruition after all, then I fear that come back down to earth, that come back to reality could send the markets tumbling back down pretty darn fast. Now, I'm in the camp that an ETF is cool, sure, but it's not the end-all be-all for Bitcoin. I mean, we have a $1.1 trillion market cap right now without an ETF. And there are plenty of easy ways to get exposure to Bitcoin without all the ETF rigmarole. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have an ETF. It's not bad. Just that it's not a critical thing to me. And if you disagree with that assertion, please tell me why in the comments here or on Twitter. All of this, however, does not change my belief that we will see new all-time highs across the crypto markets before end of the calendar year, per my predictions two weeks ago. Again, my predictions are like dart tosses with my eyes closed, so take them with a grain of salt, just like anyone else. But the markets look good right now, so I hope they hold up and the ETF decision does in fact come to fruition and bring the prosperity that everyone else believes that it will. And speaking of prosperity, holders of the Polkadot uh, ecosystem, coins, and DOT itself will be quite pleased with its price action recently, and it's no surprise that the markets are looking so nice for DOT these days. In fact, it is long overdue that DOT began to get the attention it so desperately deserves in the market. And that finally came with the announcement of the official parachain auctions for Polkadot coming in November of 2021. For those unfamiliar with Polkadot, it is a powerful interoperability network built to connect many heterogeneous blockchain networks with one another called parachains. Sort of the brainchild of Gavin Wood, who was an early contributor and huge contributor to the Ethereum ecosystem. These parachains can effectively earn a slot in the network's limited slot list through economic means, specifically by bonding the native DOT coin in the form of a lease of sorts for that slot. Now, if you look at the effect of this parachain auction mechanism for the first parachain slots on the sister network for Polkadot, Kusama, which is sort of the canary proving ground for Polkadot code, you'll remember that it sent the Kusama ecosystem into a bullish frenzy. And it appears the parachain auctions locked in for the Polkadot network will be similar to that, with the price and community responding quickly after a unanimous governance vote to set the date for parachain auctions on November 11th, running until December 9th, thereabouts. 
This will mean that many of the well-established Polkadot parachain hopeful projects will have a shot at grabbing one of the first slots in this auction, and the era of Polkadot will officially begin. To me, Polkadot and Cosmos, among others, are ushering in the new era of crypto and setting us up for mass adoption by way of multi-chain cryptocurrencies. So I am not going to be missing this ride personally. Now, I know this might be slightly controversial and will garner philosophical discussion in the comments, which is great. When have I shied away from sharing my opinion on this show? Now, this week, Twitter CEO and Bitcoiner Jack Dorsey laid out his plans to build a user-friendly, open-source mining system for everyday people to mine Bitcoin without having to build or learn a complex mining rig. The idea is to further decentralize the network and make it more accessible for individual holders to truly participate in the Bitcoin network's core process of mining. Individuals really can't participate anymore, at least not the average person. Presumably, this would be on a totally custom stack from the silicon, the chip, all the way up to the higher level software for the miner itself. And not much is known about this project except a few tweets from Jack Dorsey, but it piqued my interest nonetheless. Now, I'm not the hugest fan of Jack Dorsey, but I think this idea is sound and for the benefit of the crypto community at large. The more people who feel like they can more or less take ownership in the Bitcoin network and participate and, and really understand how it works, the less power and prowess that Bitcoin maxis have to ring with their cowbell and put other people down. That's a plus. But the biggest value, the value that is the most critical, is that it will give people the ability to view Bitcoin not just as a profit-bearing asset, but as a decentralized network, to understand it for what it truly is. Some people will hate this just because it's Jack Dorsey and Square doing it, but hey, that's the world we live in. Next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Quick coffee break. Now, there has been some concern amongst the crypto community in regards to the trend of bigger enforcement teams being assembled by regulators and law enforcement around the world with reports of the Department of Justice in the US, for example, creating a new team for crypto enforcement recently. Of course, this sends many into a sort of cycle or pattern of fear of regulation and enforcement and what that means for crypto prices. But I'm here to tell you that this is not something that you need to worry about. In fact, enforcement efforts can potentially play to our favor here because of some of the undeniable negative and criminal enterprise that ensues in crypto from fraud to money laundering to things that are much worse than that, the less frantic regulators will have to be in making rash legislative decisions on crypto. Enforcement can stem the criminal activity and reduce the urgency for regulatory aggression, I guess you could call it. Now, will this happen how I believe it will? Maybe, maybe not. But right now, to me, it is not worth the FUD. I think this could end up being just fine. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. Speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit that like button. You can get subscribed, you can turn on notifications, you can follow the podcast, whatever you can do to tell those robots that you're enjoying the content and others might also enjoy it. So thank you for that in advance. 
Now, today's absence of logic is another controversial one. I guess today's episode is potentially controversial, or I'm just a glutton for punishment in the comments. However, I must tackle this issue because it's kind of being amplified yet again on social media. The issue at hand is the prevalence of people spreading complete idiocy, which is the idea that because taxes are philosophically quote-unquote illegal or unethical in some people's minds that they can just decide not to pay taxes. Oh, and to compound that stupidity, they would like to claim that crypto isn't really trackable. So no one's going to find out that I'm not paying my taxes on crypto. To a new person that's coming into the space, they may take this nonsense seriously, which is a real problem. But not only that, it only feeds the narratives that many regulators and lawmakers would like to paint about crypto in that it is only for tax evaders and criminals, which it is markedly not. Now, I don't love taxes. I don't think anyone loves taxes, but it's part of life and it's not optional. The saying goes, the only thing that's guaranteed is death and taxes, which is somewhat morbid, but relevant to this conversation. And I may have butchered that phrase, but whatever. The fact is, you are trading assets on a public ledger, which are immutable in nature. These public ledgers are. To take profits to fiat or to bring fiat into the ecosystem, you almost invariably have to use a KYC on ramp or off ramp. So you will eventually get caught cheating the system here. That not only hurts individually, but it hurts the whole crypto ecosystem because it perpetuates the stereotypes that are frankly not representative of the majority of crypto. You don't have to like taxes or agree with them, but you still have to pay them. Crypto is not some golden ticket that absolves you of that responsibility. So just pay them, okay? Use a tax software like Cointracker and pay them and move on. Take a deep breath, meditate if you have to. The point is, if you're dumb enough to abstain from taxes on some individually held principle and think that's going to work out for you on the end, in the end, on an immutable ledger that's public, then we all know what I'm going to say. That's a 404 logic not found. Now, if you take that already dumb idea and post it on social media, that's a 404 logic not found of epic proportions. If you're new to crypto, please understand the tax rules in your jurisdiction, plan ahead for them, and make sure that you pay them on time and you don't have to worry about it. All right, my friends, it is sponsored time, which helps me keep this show coming to you across all platforms every weekend. Now, the first sponsor of the day is the NFT project platypunks whom i've gotten to know since the launch of their pixelated platypus art earlier this year please tell me in the comments how you say the plural version of platypus i cannot figure it out outside of the pixel art itself though for these platypus themed uh, pixel art folks and the intrinsic artistic value therein platypunks is focused on building a close-knit community and a suite of benefits for owners of platypunks for example, the Platypunks art collection is a unique community benefit consisting of an NFT art collection curated by holders of these uh, Platypunks NFTs by way of voting. As long as you own at least one Platypunk, you have a vote in the NFT collection, which is currently valued at about $60,000 and growing. And when a piece of art is sold from that collection, Platypunks raffles off more than half of the proceeds to Platypunk holders. In addition, there are monthly raffles, fun minigame coming out, and more partnerships coming. And you can check out Platypunks the project at http uh, platypunks.com and see what you think. So, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that NFTs are highly speculative, often illiquid, and there are risks therein. So please be careful 
know the risks before making a decision to purchase an NFT of any kind, bearing in mind local regulations where applicable. Thank you for that. And finally, I would like to thank the long-term sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin, and they're my go-to place to earn a cool 9% plus on my USDC stablecoins, 6.1% interest on my Bitcoin, you know the drill. Ledin savings accounts are the ideal spot for me to park my USDC in particular, where it earns a solid rate of return that I simply will not get out of bank, and then it's ready and waiting to be deployed into Bitcoin straight from the Ledin dashboard when a buying opportunity arises, or for quick withdrawal to make a purchase on a decentralized exchange using USDC, for example. Ledin itself offers a wide range of services from the aforementioned savings accounts to collateralized loans and more. So please do check out Ledin using the link in the description box, the pinned comment or podcast description. And I thank you so much for your support on this show and for supporting our sponsors. All right, folks, let's do some community Q&A. I always answer questions from folks who watch the show. And I've got some questions from last week's episode that I'm going to answer but I do want to remind you really quickly that if you have a question that you want answered, there are no dumb questions. Any question goes, leave them in the comments below on YouTube. Or if you're on the podcast, you can tweet the questions to me at Hashoshi4 as well. All right, let's dive into these questions and get started. All right, first question of the day is from KWY0220. Hash, what is your opinion on the future of stablecoins with the fear around SEC regulation? Do you think centralized stablecoins such as Tether and USDC will be replaced by decentralized algorithmic alternatives such as UST, uh, JED, and etc.? So I do think that there are regulatory fears around stablecoins and the fact that USDC in particular being one that complies with regulations and has been designed to comply with regulations and is fully backed, the fact that there's concern there from regulators is concerning to me. I don't though think that this means that all centralized stable coins are going to be killed off. I think that it's more so going to be that the rules are going to be organized such that everyone complies to a set of standards and I would venture to guess that because Coinbase and Circle and some of the others behind USDC are so active already in the sort of the politics side of things, maybe they are going to help draft a set of unified regulations that then other centralized stablecoins are going to have to comply with. That being said, the decentralized stablecoins are a whole different beast in and of themselves. Because I think if you really consider what regulators are concerned about, I feel that it's these algorithmic unbacked sort of mores, you know, three sheets to the wind, like you truly decentralized stable coins. Those are the things they're concerned about because they have absolutely no way of, of exhibiting control over them or willing them or performing enforcement actions. That being said, what's going to be critical is a lot of these decentralized stablecoins aren't really all that decentralized in and of themselves. They've got a very well-defined entity behind them that are building these things. And that's where you start to hear this like decentralized in name only type of concept. I have a feeling we're going to see enforcement action taken against both centralized and decentralized stablecoins. And the end result of that is going to be, for better or for worse, the clarity as to what's allowed and what's not. I'm going to stop short of saying that I think stablecoins are going to be banned. I don't think they're going to be banned. But they're not going to be sort of this Wild West thing that they've been for a long time. 
And that may not be a wholesomely bad thing, to be quite honest with you. I've been really irritated by all of the FUD and, and the instability that comes from questions around Tether because people just don't know what's going on, right? And there's not a lot of transparency there. Stable coins should be transparent, centralized or not. That's kind of what it should be. So I don't think regulation's all bad, and some people may disagree with me on that. I think that right now, though, it's really up in the air as to what's going to happen. In the future, though, there will still be centralized and decentralized stablecoins. Thank you for your question. Second question is from Razan Sharil. Hopefully I pronounced your name right. If I didn't, my apologies. What are your top five resources for crypto info? Uh, what websites do you go to or what podcasts do you listen to? Okay, I like a good mix. So my fellow YouTube colleagues, people that I'm friends with, even people that I don't really know. I know most of the YouTubers just in passing from talking and you know Telegram channels or whatever, but Coin Bureau, awesome channel, right? Like Coin Bureau, guy, his team, they make awesome content. Uh, Rob from Digital Asset News, I always go there. Always good stuff going from, from, from uh, Digital Asset News. Uh, a couple other channels, I think that you can find some really cool stuff on Alex Becker's channel. He's really, really sharp in the gaming niche, in the NFT niche, and the guy really does know how those things work. Always great. I mean, there are plenty of other channels. I'm not leaving anyone out purposefully. There's just too many. I don't want to waste a bunch of time and share with you every single channel that I watch as a crypto YouTuber. Now, that covers the YouTube side. In terms of written publications, if you just subscribe to topics on medium.com, like crypto topics, you'll find all sorts of cool stuff that just gets pinged to you every morning. I love that because you get it from various different authors and you get to see new people and find new people that you like. Twitter's another great place. People sleep on Twitter to get information. For example, the Polkadot ecosystem, Dan Reeser, the dude posts amazing Polkadot content in threads on Twitter. And if you just follow Dan, you will get unbelievable content free of charge right in your timeline. Underrated. So start curating a nice, even using the list feature on Twitter, curating people that tweet about things that you're interested in and you will get a lot of good information. In terms of publications, of course, yes, I still read articles from the, the now mainstream crypto publications, the Cointelegraphs, the Decrypts, the Coindesks of the world. You gotta take some of the stuff with a grain of salt. There's a lot of opinion pieces in there that are you know, hit or miss. Uh, but it's good to keep a pulse on the markets because they do a lot of that legwork to find different things. And then the only other thing is podcast-wise, there's a lot of really good podcasts. I really like the Unchained podcast. It's just different. It's a different take on crypto. Um, Unbanked is a pretty good podcast. It, you just really have to find different community podcasts. There aren't very many like aggregated crypto market-wide podcasts. There are a lot of ones that are niched and focused. Um, so you have to find some of those various ones. I also don't listen to podcasts all that much because... I'm not really traveling much where I'd have an odd reason for audio podcasts. And when I'm like cooking or I'm in the zone, I'm listening to music, not podcasts. So that's my thing. That's how I learn. Also white papers, if you're not technical, they might be a little bit difficult to grasp, but I read white papers at least daily to learn about projects. So that's where I go. Thank you for your question. Third question of the day is from Daily Millennial. Can you please explain how some of the gaming projects are building their games? Do they use Unity or Unreal? Are there specific gaming engines? 
This is also a good question. So crypto games vary in how they're built. Some are very simple browser-based games that use very sort of minimalist tools to build games. Great. Some use sort of deeper, more engine-based games. So I have seen plenty of games that are using Unity or Unreal. I have seen other people using sort of custom engines, which are usually modifications of existing gaming engines that are out there. A lot of people will take open source components and kind of repurpose them to help build their game. But there are projects as well in the crypto space like Engine, E-N-J-I-N, that's building, presumably, a gaming engine, hence the name Engine. It, the whole thing kind of makes sense branding-wise if you think about it. And there are other projects too, I'm sure, that are building out a gaming engine or at least components, modular components to build on top of these base layers and Unreal and Unity, etc. The reality is that everyone right now is kind of using the buzzwords. Oh, we're building a Unity, like AAA quality game. We're doing this. It's just all the buzzwords for games. So it gets very difficult to judge a project based on the engine they're using or based off of what the, they describe their project as. The reality is you have to wait and see what their product is. Proof of concept, MVP, whatever that might be. You got to wait until you see that because you really don't know the quality until then. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. Don't worry so much about the engine. When you're evaluating a project, look at the product and compare it against maybe some of the other products that are out there for well-established games and see what you think. So hopefully that helps. Thank you for your question. And the final question, crypto trading, what camera do you use for your recordings? This is a question, I know it's not crypto related, but every once in a while I pick a question because people seem to be curious about the stuff I use in my videos and like just other stuff about me besides crypto. I use a Canon EOS R, or EOS R however you would like to pronounce it. Uh, it's a pretty solid, not super expensive camera. It looks pretty darn good. It's portable so I can travel with it. And that was very important to me because the old camera I had, which was a 1DX Mark II because I used to take a lot of photos, was like a carrying a cinder block in my backpack and I was like having back problems carrying it around airports and stuff not that I've been traveling recently because of all the stuff that's been happening in the world um but yeah I would say if you want to start a channel though biggest piece of advice just use your phone I used my phone and a $15 mic for the first two years of my YouTube channel and I didn't really buy any special equipment until I really felt like I had to and I really didn't even have to in the end anyway. I just wanted to level up the quality. So unsolicited advice, I know, but thank you nonetheless for your question. I use a Canon EOS R. I'm a Canon guy, but there are plenty of other good cameras. Thank you guys so much for watching Crypto Over Coffee. Thank you for listening to it. If you're listening on the podcast, if you have some time to stick around and you're on the YouTube side of things, here's another video for you to watch. If you like crypto, please stick around. We got plenty of crypto content coming at you. So thank you very much for that in advance. And I want to wish you and your family a wonderful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, as always, cheers.